0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Today's episode of the More Analytics Podcast is brought to you by Paul Cellular. Paul Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached no confusing fine print Hall strives to be the best value in wireless while supporting their customers with the service that they deserve and that they expect their mission's quite simple to provide the best user experience possible for everyday life they got you covered nationwide in the US with unlimited talk text and premium fast LTE data plans hotspot coverage with no additional cost in all 50 states and the U.S. Caribbean regions with additional coverage available in both Canada and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines and unlimited text and data across 210 countries. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. You can just live life and focus on you. Life is better with Pulse.
2: If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast,
0: talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, eighties music, and pop culture. And now here's your host, Patrick Moran.
1: All right, what's going on, podcast fans? Sup. Welcome to episode number. 117 of the Analytics Podcast, presented by Pulse Cellular. Today's Tuesday, May 7th. Thank you, as always, for listening, for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed, why have you not yet subscribed? Please go ahead and do so. Coming up on today's show, actually, you know what? Today is going to be a really different show for sure. Regular listeners to this podcast already know this is a primarily a sports podcast, and I usually lean... Very heavily towards Buffalo sports talk. However, I have been determined to not be married to any one theme, any one topic, any one genre. And today's going to demonstrate that because on today's show, I'm doing something real different. Just so you're wondering, regular listeners, sports, particularly Buffalo sports, is always going to be the meat and potatoes of this podcast. However, from time to time, I want to find some interesting guests to talk to in all fields, not just sports but also entertainment, music, basically anything. And I landed a really good one today, a personal favorite of mine. If you're an American Idol fan, especially the old school Idol, like that first maybe half dozen seasons or whatever, you're surely going to know my guest today. I will be joined shortly by Elliot Yamin, season five finalist, a talented, likable dude who seemed to come out of nowhere on the show and finish in third place. He outlasted people from his group that went on to become quote-unquote mainstream stars after the show was over. People like Chris Daughtry, Kelly Pickler, among many others. Notice how I said seemingly come out of nowhere. As you'll find out today in this long-form interview, which by the way, is the longest that I've had to date on the Analytics podcast, you're going to see that Elliot's rise to TV and singing stardom hardly came out of nowhere. It was a long road a road that certainly was not paved easily. We're going to talk about his entire journey today and what I'd like to think is one of, if not his most revealing interviews to date, something his fans, I'm sure, are really, really going to enjoy. We talk about his being raised in LA before moving to Richmond, Virginia at just the age of 11. The culture shock that came with it. And he talks about that at length. Big time culture shock for Elliot. Many difficulties. Mentally, emotionally, and also physically, by the way, because he's had several ear surgeries. And by the time he was 13 years old, he lost 90% of the hearing in his right ear. He was diagnosed with diabetes at just 16 years old. So he's had to overcome a lot to get to this point physically. Elliot was a talented singer, even as a young kid. And of course, as a young man as well. But at one point, and he admits this, he was kind of just wandering around life. Not sure what he was going to do. And we learned what inspired him to go to audition for American Idol Season 5, which was in Boston, who was responsible for making him do it. And then we discussed that entire American Idol journey. He takes us between the ropes a little bit. Actually, several times during the interview. Tells us how things worked on the show, the relationships, the song choices, the judges, the lifestyle, the grind, everything that came with being a contestant on American Idol. He takes us through his audition, Hollywood Week, which was a big-time struggle, the semifinals, which he more or less dominated, to be frank with you, as he started to make a name for himself on the show, several of the mentors during the finals, Stevie Wonder, Barry Manilow, Queen, all types of different songs and song choices that he had to make, all the way through to the top three, where as one of the top three, he made that emotional journey back home that was televised. Won that more than a decade later. It still leaves him emotional discussing it. You could hear it in his voice when he talks to me today. He talks about being voted off on the show. By the way, the closest vote in the history of the show right before the finale. And now he had himself mentally ready to accept whatever fate had awaited him. We talk about the support that Paul Abdul gave him on the show. What it was like to be on stage singing with the legendary Mary J. Blige in front of millions of TV fans watching around the world for the finale of season five. He talks about the tour after the season wrapped up, what he's been up to post idol and so much more. And I mean so much more. I'm gonna be completely honest with y'all, all all right? If you tune into the podcast like you do every Tuesday and Friday and you're here for Sports Talk, definitely come back on Friday. I'll have plenty of Sports Talk on Friday, okay? If you're not an Elliott Yameen fan, well, I would suggest that you give this a listen. Maybe you will be when it's over. I can promise you this. If you are an Elliot Yameen fan, I'm going to say this confidently. You're going to learn more about this man and his musical journey today than you probably have at any point before. So on that note, let's just get right down to it. Here's my long form interview with former American Idol star Elliot Yamin. All right, this is about to be really cool for me. My guest today, the first music artist I've ever had on this podcast was on American Idol all the way back on season 5 in 2006. Not only was he a contestant, but he was a finalist. Not only was he a finalist, but he made it all the way to the final 3, outlasting future mainstream stars like Chris Daughtry, Kelly Pickler along the way. He was like that do next door on the show. And I'm just going to say it, man. And anyone who knows me knows that I mean this. He was my favorite contestant on the show ever. Elliot Yameen. He's joining me right now on the Moranalytics podcast. What's up, Elliot? How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing
0: great. And it's uh, it's quite the honor to be on your podcast today, man. Thanks for making time for me.
1: <laughs> I, I promise you, man. The, the, the pleasure is all mine. Let me get this out of the way and then we'll get started with our chat. I've had. A lot of great guests on this podcast, but I've been looking forward to doing this interview with you more than anyone I've done to date because I became such a big fan of yours on this show. I probably was more invested in that season five than any season before or since on Idol. Lots of good memories for me personally, in part thanks to you and not, not just me, by the way, also moments I shared watching the show with my wife. Who she liked you, she was an Elliot, she was an Elliot girl, but she was a big Daughtry fan, so we'd have some lively discussions throughout the season. It was just a really fun time to watch the show and uh it's easy to throw daggers at shows like American Idol now, but during that time, man, American Idol, it really changed the game for network t v
0: yeah, I really did you know I was really uh i was i've been a fan of the show since its inception. I think it was around season three or four where. Uh, a lot of friends of my crew back in Richmond, Virginia, would, would they would always call me during commercial breaks and be like, "Did you see that guy or that girl? You can sing way better than them. You got to go do this. You got to go try out, man." And um, that's sort of what started the uh, the inclination, I guess. The sort of started the bug for me to maybe think, "Well, this could be something big. This could be something that could really open up a lot of doors for me." Sure. So. Um, so you know, uh, I I watched the show religiously. I was well aware of of its uh, popularity, of course, and I just thought, you know, this could really change my life for the better. And uh, as it has as as it had done so many times before for so many other contestants. And um, yeah, man, I uh, you know, I was I was a lucky one. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> you were. You Before we get to your audition for Idol, you were born originally in L.A., but you moved to Richmond, Virginia when you were 11 years old. Was that a difficult transition for you as a young kid going from the West Coast down the East Coast?
0: It really was, man. It really was. I've got two words to best describe that move, and that is culture shock. Yeah. Complete and utter culture shock. Even at 10 years old, I was still a a wise young lad. You know, and mm-hmm. um, growing up in a neighborhood that was a bit of a melting pot. You know, you you had people from all walks of life, all all over the the world, uh, all types of inth- different ethnicities, and um, and it was beautiful. You know, everyone lived among each other and went to school together and played together, and and then you go from that kind of environment to uh, a Confederate state. That I knew nothing about, right? Uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, you know, you're 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 pretty much you're, there is just there's just there's a big lack of diversity there, and that was something that I just wasn't used to to being around. So, you know, needless to say, I got in a lot of trouble my early years in Richmond. It was a really tough place to adjust to. Just I was just shocked culturally. You know, I wasn't used to being around. Not just you know, I was I wasn't used to being around so many white people to be honest with you white Caucasian people, you know, and, and, and kids and, and hearing racial slurs on the playground. And, and, uh, you know, if you're not white, you're black and that's about it in Richmond, you know? So I just wasn't used to that environment. And, um, I got, you know, I got in a few fights in school and I'm not even a fighter. I never, I never, never been a fighter, but they didn't really take too kindly to me either. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it was just a, it was a tough, tough adjustment period, you know, but, you know, through the years I learned that, you know, I, I, I grew to love the place and I've got so much family there and, and some of my best friends are there and, you know, I would, I would end up adjusting quite well and, and, uh, you know, things would end up working out, but, but yeah, in the beginning it was really tough.
1: Now your most hardened fans surely know this already. Some casual fans out there may not, but you grew up with a history of ear infections as a child, had an ear surgery at just 13 years old, left you with like a 90% loss in your right ear. And if that wasn't hard enough, you were diagnosed with diabetes at just the age of 16. And you've been living with that ever since. How much did that weigh on you as a child physically having to you know, endure things like that?
0: Uh, that again, that again was really tough, you know, um, but you know, life, life comes at you really fast and it throws things your way that you're not always prepared for, you know, and you just got to roll with it. You know, I know that's easier said than done, but you know by the time i was 13 and my right eardrum blew up i was pretty used to to dealing with my ear problems and ear infections and that was just another cog in the wheel so to speak right so i mean it was just it was definitely tough to deal with you know my hearing was always has always been impaired since i was born so i guess because of that i was sort of used to that it was sort of my reality so i didn't really let that affect me too much and and luckily it never really affected my singing But yeah, I mean fast forward to, you know, from thirteen to age, sixteen, you know, getting diagnosed with type one diabetes just out of the blue like that was was definitely was definitely a, a, a setback. I, I thought, you know, instantly that I wasn't gonna be able to really chase my dreams and live the kind of life that I wanted to live, you know, getting older and and uh did they having come, all these
1: did they come out of the blue for you? Being diagnosed with diabetes, did you have any inclination that you were suffering from it? Or did that something just came out of nowhere seemingly for you? It did. It came out
0: of nowhere. I mean, I grew up in a diabetic family. My mom was diabetic, type one. When I was a kid, I used to give my grandma, who was also a diabetic, uh, her shots. So I'd always been around needles. I'd never been afraid of them. So I guess you could say I was sort of predisposed to diabetes, even though it doesn't necessarily work like that. It tends to skip generations you know, it tends mm-hmm. to skip generations, and um, but I guess I, I sort of came, I sort of come from a long line of diabetics, so I wasn't a stranger to the disease. I just never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be affected by it personally, you know. So, right. so yeah, it really was out of the blue, and um, it really threw me for a loop, you know, because here I am at sixteen. You know, most of my friends in school are, you know, working on getting their licenses and their driver's licenses and and uh, learning how to drive, and I was learning how to give myself the right insulin regimen,
2: you know? Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so, you know, these kind of things forced me to grow up faster than I probably would have cared to still working on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Are we all bro? Are we all?
0: I think, I think we are, man. I think life is just a, life is just a constant uh, lesson, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I took it on the chin, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, Yeah, it hasn't been easy, but no one's life is easy, you know. I I uh we all have our we all have our our stuff. We all have have our stuff to deal with, you know. And and I never let I never let that stuff get get in the way of my my goals, you know.
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I'm going to weave in and out of some sports talk throughout this interview. I know you're a sports fan. We've had some chats before doing this tape in here. You love sports, especially basketball. I also know that you were a Buffalo Bills fan at one time too. We're going to hit on that a little bit later. I know you grew up a Lakers fan, of course. Obviously, you were in Audi, California. Who were a few of your favorite players and favorite sports teams as a young kid?
0: Well, I'll tell you right now, my all-time favorite athlete is Magic Johnson, Irvin Magic Johnson. Okay. Um, I was, uh, I was a particularly particularly a huge fan of the Lakers growing up. My, my dad and I, sort of the only thing we really bonded over were the Lakers. And so, yeah, living in L.A. during the Showtime era was just especially – fun because we were winning all the time oh we yeah just had, i mean we just it was just kind of the golden you know the golden era of my you know of my generation's
1: uh lakers right sure um so much fun to watch them play back then
0: yeah man i i couldn't get enough of it and uh you know my dad and i and my brother we watched we watch Laker games all the time together and then you know, we have kids in the neighborhood and friends from school come over and we watch the big games and the playoffs and, of course, the finals. And uh, so I just fell in love with, with uh, Magic Spirit, you know, his uh, that big old smile and just the I've always had an affinity for the point guard position because I'm a small dude. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I've always played point guard growing up. And um, so I I especially connected with that position, the one spot in basketball. And uh, Magic was just unreal. Just he had eyes. In the back of his head, the way he commanded the floor ran the offense and just set people up you know that's that's one of my favorite parts about the game is right. I' care less about getting my shot off or or scoring. I'd rather set someone up and 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 you know be tasked with uh with assisting people, you know right yeah um so I fell in love with with magic early on you know i love I love the Thompsons, I love Michael cooper, of course the captain, I love kareem. And just some of the early players, you know, Gil Goodrich, um, the logo of Jerry West, and just all, all of the players that came before the Showtime era. You know, I just did a lot of homework and research on them, and, and I just loved everything about what the Lakers represented, man. Tinseltown and and uh, championships, you know what I mean? I, 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 guess, I guess you could say I got a little spoiled. I think all Laker fans are a little spoiled when you're used to winning so much, right?
1: Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> like I said, they were fun to watch, and those rivalries back then with the Boston Celtics were... Second to none. Now what about singing, man? When did you first get into singing? And also when did you first realize that you could actually sing well? Because lots of people sing. Not everyone's good at it.
0: Well, I'll tell you, you know, I always tell people I've been singing since the doctor said push. <laughs> and and so, you know, my mom my mom was a singer and she um coincidentally enough, it's it's just crazy how life life can, can get full circle on you, man, because My mom was 26 years old when she moved, I believe, I believe she was 26 years old when she moved from Richmond, Virginia to Los Angeles to pursue, pursue her own dreams of becoming a professional singer, which is how my brother and I were, were born here in LA. Things didn't exactly pan out for her in that, uh, in that profession, she tried and and didn't make it, but she always sang, you know, and, and she always sang with me in her belly. And, uh, I think that's when I got the itch. I think as a little, you know, as a little embryo. I think I just, that's, that's when I got that bug, you know? And, and, um, you know, weirdly enough, I wasn't, I was never trained. I was never, never took any lessons. My mom never forced any, any kind of lessons on me. Although I sort of, the older I get, I sort of wish she did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wish I was a little more, more, I wish I was, you know, more of a well-rounded musician, but, I'm grateful for my voice and it's just a natural ability that I've always had. I I don't even know how to explain it. You know, I, I, cause it's always just been something I've been able to do without any provocation. You know, I just been able, I've always been able to, to carry a tune, you know, that's, that's what I'm most grateful for is just actually being able to use that and being able to use that to, to my advantage, you know, getting older and, and, and sort of
1: thinking, well, you know, I could probably make a career out of this if I just tried, you know? So, um, how old were you when you first realized, like when you're singing, like your mom would say, Oh yeah, Elliot, you know, you sound really good. Lots of mothers and fathers say that to their kids, but often they're full of shit. You know, they're just being nice to their kids. Obviously in the case (laughs) of you, you could actually sing. Were you like really young when you really first started singing and people started noticing that, Hey, this Elliot kid, man, he could sing.
0: Yeah, I was. I was really young when I when I realized that okay, there might be something here. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, um my brother and I were playing around on on our phone one day and um I forget how we did it, but somehow I was able to record myself singing on our answering machine. And back then our answering machines of course were those little mini cassette tapes and they looked like, you know, looked like little recorders. Oh records. yeah, yep, yep. And so I you know, I forget where we were, or how we did it, but but I I I think we called our home number and left a voice, you know, left a voicemail. And I heard myself for the first time. I recorded voice for the first time and thought, whoa, that's me. That's that's what I sound like. <laughs> and, and not to toot my own horn, but I was like, that sounds halfway decent, you know?
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then and then another to further validate that feeling, I guess, was I remember being eight years old. I used to sing all this. My brother and I shared a bedroom and uh, I used to sing all the time in our bedroom and our windows would be open. We were living in Pasadena at the time. And we had these neighbors, these three dudes that lived next door to us that had a recording studio in their home. One day we were coming home from like the grocery store or something. And we were unloading some bags in the car. And one of the neighbors came over and was like, Hey, is that, they asked my mom, is that your son? Who's who we hear singing out the window all the time. He's got a great voice. And, uh, you know, my mom was flattered and, and they asked if, if, uh, if I could come over and record with them again, I was eight years old. I had no idea what any of that meant, but, um, she said, yeah, sure. So I went over there, I think the next day or within the next couple of days, I guess they were working on a cover of, uh, that song Hound Dog by Elvis. Uh huh. And I recorded, my, they recorded me singing, singing Hound Dog. And, um, and that's, I guess that's when I got the hits too, man. I mean, I, I heard my, I heard the playback and I thought, wow, that's, that's me. Cause you know, we, we hear ourselves differently than everyone else does, you know, yeah. uh, and especially, especially our recorded voices are, you know, they tend to sound a little different than, than our own ears hear it, you know? But again, I was sort of impressed <laughs> and I thought, well, this is pretty cool. I could, I could get used to this. So, so yeah, I think those two, those two instances and sort of open up, you know, gave me, gave, I guess sort of gave me a little more confidence and, and cause I was always really shy when it came to my voice. And it was something that I never really boasted about. It was just sort of a hidden talent, so to speak. Right. And, um, but, but it gave me confidence, you know, moving forward. So what that did for me is it sort of gave me, you know, it opened up, opened up some doors for me to like, get the confidence to sing in front of more people. So as I got a little older and my grandparents got older and they, they were in assisted living homes. I would go and I would sing for my grandma and her friends at the assisted living home, you know, put on little concerts in their, in the dining halls there. And, uh, I go sing, I go sing for some of her neighbors and, you know, in the convalescent homes. And, and then we'd have family reunions and I was always asked to sing in front of the family. So that helped, that also helped, you know, gain confidence and, and realize, okay, man, you know, this is something that makes people happy and put smiles on people's faces. And, and they always seem to enjoy when I sing, so it also gave me a great feeling inside. Like, you know, like I could do, I could do this. This is something that I could do and do well. So, yeah, I mean, early on, and I, I sort of got that bug early on, and obviously, it wasn't until years later I was able to really capitalize on it. But, but yeah, those are some early, some super early memories of me really using my voice for the better. You know,
1: now you weren't exactly what I would say a golden child destined for greatness, the easy road to greatness, anyway as a young kid, like you said, you moved from LA to Virginia. That was a struggle for you, a different, you said the word culture shock, big culture shock for you. You had some physical ailments that you had to deal with. You you admit, admittedly, like you said, you got a couple of playground fights, things like that. At one point you had dropped out of school. You worked a few jobs before you auditioned for Idol. One of them was at a pharmacy, which by the way, I remember seeing that on the, on the show during the top three hometown trip back visits. What inspired you to go to it was Boston, I believe, for the show to audition in the first place to go to American Idol. When did you decide that this is my time, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna make this move and I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Boston and I'm gonna audition?
0: Well, I'm gonna be honest with you. It was really it was really my friend's decision before it was mine. Okay, my friends had made up my mind for me. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm super grateful and lucky to have those kind of friends in my corner and on my side, and they basically threatened my life. i i sort of equated to that scene in the movie goodwill hunting you know when Mm -hmm. matt damon you know when um when ben affleck's character pulls up to matt damon's house to pick him up as he does every morning to go to to go to their crummy jobs right and um and he's like listen every morning when i pull up and i beep the horn i pray that you don't come out because that means you left this town and you went and made something of yourself yeah basically basically in, in a nutshell is what that scene was about and my friends were like, dude, if we had because by this point I, I was sitting at parties and house parties on the weekends and and uh, and I had done some radio gigs. I was on air personality for a little while. And and so, you know, people around town were sort of aware of me and my voice, but I, you know, I wasn't using it. It was just something I did for fun. Sure. And um and it wasn't until my friends basically threatened my life. They were like, dude, if we had your talent, your voice, you know, they'd always be around me when people would react to it. My singing and you know especially girls when we were younger sure yeah. um and they get a little envious, but they'd also get really supportive and say like you know dude you got to go do something with this voice if we had your talent we wouldn't still be here in richmond we'd be out there trying you know and and that's what you should do and if you don't do this we're gonna kick your ass <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was all i needed to really help make up my mind to 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 really start that process and 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 really you know Get my mind on on the fact that yeah I have a talent I haven't really realized it yet but maybe this will help me realize that realize that this is truly a gift you know and and uh, why not use it so
1: how nervous were that- you how nervous were you right before you get to Boston and you get called up to sing for the first round of people is that nerve wracking or were you pretty relaxed and I ask you that because of this and we'll talk about this in a little bit I remember when you got to the top twenty four was the top twelve men top 12 women. I don't want to fast forward too much here during this interview, but I remember Ryan Seacrest talking to you and you were like, just so chill. You're on the couch chilling. You talked about how you guys, you know, how you warm up your voice, but you don't do all these vocal Olympics to warm them up like some other people do. You were just seemed so relaxed and chill. But when you first started that journey, was that your mindset as well? Or were you really nervous at the beginning?
0: I'll tell you, man, looks can be Extremely deceiving because I, I look back on some of those packages and I'm like, how was I, how did I seem or even appear to be so calm? Yeah. But the truth, the truth and the reality is I was a nervous wreck because I just didn't have a lot of experience performing in front of big crowds. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you one thing I, I knew what I was capable of and I was confident in that. So that really helped, it really helped me going forward. um But I was a nervous wreck, dude. I mean, I had, I, my, literally my knees would literally be knocking, you know, backstage before every performance. And, um, I'm just thinking in my mind, okay, remember the lyrics, remember the lyrics. You only have to do like 90 seconds of this song. You got this. Yeah. Um, but, but then, you know, to think about the millions and millions of people on the other side of that camera, which, uh, which the producers of the show do not, um, you know, they, they do not shy away from telling you that <laughs> always.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> to think about the, the, the crowd, so to speak on the other side of that camera lens was extremely overwhelming. And, uh, and it made me really nervous, but, but having that, having the, the, the confidence in, in, in knowing what I'm capable of and knowing my abilities, I just sort of banked on that. It, it somehow, man, somehow it just, it just helped me perform, uh, you know, it helped me kind of block all that out and just think about the task at hand, the, the 90 seconds coming up that I had to make this indelible impression on whoever, whoever's on the other side of that camera lens, you know? Right. Um, And that really helped, man. But, but, but even, even as, as I progressed and got more confident, I I think I got a little more nervous each, each performance. And I think it's, it was positive. It was positive nerves, you know, positive. uh, It was all positive because they were, you know, they were, I was just, I knew, I knew how big of a, I knew how big of an opportunity it was. And I wasn't about to let my nerves uh, impede that process.
1: You know what I mean? Sure. How does it work? Like, I know, obviously you end up in front of Paula, Randy and Simon and you get your ticket to Hollywood, but did you have to do multiple rounds in front of other panelists before you got the opportunity to sing in front of them? Or was that a pretty quick process? Yeah,
0: it was actually a pretty arduous uh, process, to be honest. Like you said, you know, the cattle call, what they don't really show or what they didn't really show back then, they would show cheats, you know, what we call cheats of uh, the big, big cattle, you know, cattle calls, the crowds there. Mm-hmm. And so when we went to that in Boston, there was, I think, 12,000, 13,000 people there at, at Gillette Stadium. Yeah. So that, that in itself was overwhelming, obviously. But And so the, first, the very first audition that you have, first of all, we waited in line for 13 hours. Our section wasn't called until like hour 14, and, oh, wow. uh, you go, you go out on the field and there are all these tents set up and you stand in line kind of four by four, you know, four people and you hear and see everyone sitting around you, you know, so you got to block that out yeah. and that's kind of tough. right? Um, but, but you're basically singing for production assistants for the show, you know, people that don't really have a, have a, a resume or, or, um, you know, uh, a job title for finding talent. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But so you never really know. It's just a crash shoot. Luckily they heard what they liked, what they heard. They, they said, okay, you're through the next round. So you go through, you go through the player's tunnel and you go into this room where they, they give you a stack, a stack of hundreds of papers that are basically contracts that you just sign your life away to, you know, that if you don't sign it, you're not going to be able to go forward. Right. There was language on there that I had never seen in my life. All kinds of like, professional jargon that i just didn't even know what you know i didn't even know how to decipher but i knew that there were lines to sign on and and that's what i did right and then uh, and then they said okay come back two days two days from now here's the address and so two days later we were set to audition for another group of producers of the show at the boston harbor downtown boston and so i went and did that and uh, they liked what they heard and said okay you're free to the next round and Here's some instructions. And so the instructions were to go home and come back two months later at the same place at the Boston Harbor. And that was going to be our third audition, which was for the executive producers of the show. So then I got to come back a couple months later. And for my third audition, it was for the executive producers of the show. And then a day later, it was for the actual Judges. Wow. And uh and that's when I got my my ticket to Hollywood, and that's when I when I knew that. Man, this whole life could be coming full circle, going back to los angeles because i' I'd always dreamed about making it back there somehow some way sure i I just didn't know uh that it was going to be through this kind of opportunity, you know so yeah man, uh
1: three rounds you had to do three rounds before you even got to the judges, and that's spanning over two months then yeah,
0: yeah, wow. right, and all the while with my big mouth, you know of all people, all the while you know we were sworn to secrecy we we had a Non, you know, we had non-disclosure agreements that we had signed saying that we that we wouldn't be able to talk about this experience, right, until the show aired. You know, mm-hmm. so I had to really keep it on the hush. And I told, you know, of course, I told a few family members and close friends, but. Other than that, I had to keep it under my hat for a while. And uh, that that alone was just.
1: <laughs> was that tougher difficult? than. That was probably tougher than actually singing for you, being, having to, it re- it having really to was, keep it man. quiet. <laughs> yeah, it so, really was. So you get your golden ticket to Hollywood. Although your audition originally wasn't aired on TV, you weren't one of those pimped out contestants with the fancy packages and backstories early on, which I think later on in the show, actually, I felt like it kind of played to your benefit because. You won fans over with your performances, not some produced video packages that people had seen time and time again before you even sang, like say in the Hollywood rounds. I certainly, we've talked about this before too, off air. That's how I discovered you. I didn't, I had never even heard or saw you on the first couple weeks of the show until a specific point was, and then you get to Hollywood week and that was tough for you, I'm sure. I I remember you struggled with God Bless the Broken Road. I saw the video package of that in large part because your mom was ill and you had a lot going on at that time. And then you had that infamous group performance. It was kind of a wreck for everyone, except for you. And I will never forget this. I remember Randy Jackson looked and, and this is on the video too. And he gave you props. He said, you were the best out of that group. Well, was working with that group. And I remember Sway was one of them. And then one of the brothers, I can't remember. He was the guy who kept throwing everyone else under the bus. Was, <laughs> how tough was, was that? As tough trying to put that performance together. The shoot song. Was that as tough? In reality, as it seemed like it was on TV.
0: Oh man. Yeah, it really was. It was, it was quite, quite a nightmare, actually. Um, (laughs) I would imagine. I I can tell you, first off, I want to say that Sway has, that's how I met Sway. And he, he and I, he's become one of my best friends since that time. Mm -hmm. And I even, I even hired him for, for my band. Once I would become a recording artist, he was in my band for about five years and we got to travel the world together. So shout out to Sway, man. Um, and and he and i still laugh about that day constantly i mean we always we have our inside jokes about it and it was, it's just so fun to kind of look back and laugh about it um but yeah man i mean it was a real nightmare i i have to say i i wasn't even planning on coming back to hollywood it took pleading from my mom from her hospital bed for me to go go make something of myself go do that go i've come this far i can't quit now yeah. and uh she assured me she was going to be all right, and I had my brother there to kind of help look after her and our family members. And she was in good hands, but it was still weighing on my mind, and I it, it sort of you know it affected my focus here and there because all I could think about was her her well being, you know. Of so, course, yeah. So that alone was tough, and then just the nightmare of it all, and the, the, everything they kind of threw at us during the Hollywood rounds. Didn't know what to expect, even though I'd seen you know I'd seen seasons pass. You still don't really know until you're really in it you know, right. what to, you know, what, what's happening here. So, so yeah, um, yeah, it was tough, you know, because you had to learn songs on the spot. And then that's when I, that's when I really, yeah, because, and so because up to that point, they hadn't really focused on any focused on me or, or groomed me in any way. Yeah. They were just throwing a lot of things at us during that time. And, and, uh, but with the cameras around and with the group numbers and the picking of the groups and then cameras in our face, you know, backstage and, that's sort of when I really understood that, Hey, okay, this is a TV show first and a singing competition second. And so I was old enough to kind of, I guess, get that and understand that as much as, as green as I was to the whole process. Sure. Um, I understood that very early on that. Okay. It's a TV show. They love the drama. They're going to drum it up as much as possible. And here I am with these like loud mouth people in my group who were just, you know, mucking it up for the cameras and, and that wasn't my style. <laughs> it, wasn't it was. Style
1: it was almost. It was. It was a combination of part funny and part painful to watch. And again, I hadn't yeah. even seen you at that point, but I remember during that group, I was like, "All right, man, okay, I, I'm feeling this verse." And I, like I said, Randy pointed that out afterwards too. Like the the group was a wreck, but you you performed well, and obviously you. And then Sway too obviously went through. Actually, three of the four you went through, but the performance as a group was a wreck. But you performed well individually there, at least. Yeah, that go for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and they usually are. You know, the group performances are usually wrecks, and that's kind of the point of it. That's why they throw all that at you True. at that time. Just so yeah. they could they could get more 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 storylines, you know, for the show. And yeah. um and so yeah, it's but that's you know, it was it was it was still fun nonetheless, and and uh, I learned very quickly <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you
1: did, man. So I think the game yeah. changed I think the game changed for you during the top twenty four week when you were still relatively unknown to the masses of fans anyway. But that really blew up for you when you did Stevie Wonder's If You Really Love Me. It was a performance, and I'm telling you, man, it, it came out of nowhere for a lot of fans watching it. And trust me, I remember that well to this day. Simon said you were potentially the best male folklist he's ever heard on the show. Suddenly, just like that, bam, you know, you're, you're on the map. What was that moment like for you that night?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's right. It's exactly what he said, and uh, and it was just so flattering and just such an honor to be thought of that way, and and for Simon of all people to, you know, I was lucky to stay on his good side most of the season. You know, he never really he never really cut me down too tough, so that was good. And yeah, I was it was just a real honor. But I'll tell you, you know, the, the moment the moment that I thought the song that really did it for me, that really boosted my confidence and really really made me believe that I belong there. And that I was doing something right was when I came out the week after, I believe, I sang Knocks Me Off My Feet or it might have been before. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was the week during the, after the, I sang. Yeah, during
1: the semis, you, you did If You Really Love Me. Then the next week, you did Moody's Mood for Love. That was when it was like, all right, man, now it's really on because that was unbelievable. Right.
0: So so the, Stevie, the first CD Wonders tune I did before Moody's, I thought, oh, man, I, I was a little flat. I came out a little flat. And, and I, I didn't really particularly care for that performance, but it was the week after when I did Moody's mood for love that I thought, okay, I've arrived. This is it. Like I've really showcased my voice. And first of all, no one sings a song like that on the show. And I just, I, I tried throughout the season to try and pick songs that were maybe a little more obscure um, and songs that would best showcase my, my vocal ability. Yeah, yep. and, and Moody's mood for love really did that for me in the very beginning. And I thought, all right, man, this is, I did my thing back there and uh and I can hang I can hang with these other contestants you know what I mean <laughs> It was the so, first time
1: Elliot I'm telling you this and I remember it, it it's in my notes it's the first time 5 seasons that I ever physically voted first time <laughs> that's awesome. 5 seasons first time ever I feel like that performance it puts you right there with Daughtry and Taylor Hicks the guys I feel like that week you kind of separated yourselves the three of you from the rest of the pack and it would go on and and prove to be right as the show went forward but just to get that reaction from the judges and the crowd there in that moment, singing a song like Moody's Mood for Love, what what does that feel like for you?
0: I mean, it just felt so surreal, you know, it felt so surreal that I was in the company of all this, of all of this talent from all over the country and to have these like mythical figures, these celebrity judges, so to speak, really feeling, feeling what I'm doing. I guess, you know, not that I was looking for validation or needed it, but it certainly helped. And. It's again, it's just it just really boosted my confidence and made me believe that I could do this, you know I could do this. I took a shot, took a chance on something that i that I'm passionate about. you know getting to to verbalize my passion and have people feel what I'm doing is is a really powerful feeling, man. I mean, music is so powerful in general, but to get that sort of visceral reaction from the people in front of you, just make it all. Just make it that much cooler, you know, and that much better, and and uh, so to to be winning over all these well-established, you know, musicians and other artists and and people in the business in the industry, I thought, I thought this is only just gonna help help further me along, you know, help push me along, and it, it was just it was surreal, it was surreal, man, because you see these people on TV, and next thing you know, you're just in front of them, kind of wowing them here and there, you know, and it's just. Sure. It was surreal, man. <laughs> How much of a
1: relief was it for you the following week? I, th- I think you did have in, in, the last semifinal round, and then they unveiled the top 12, which was six men, six women. How much of a relief was it for you to be in that top 12 and going into that, what were your nerves like? Did you feel reasonably confident that you were going to be one of those finalists or was that a very nerve wracking day for you leading up to that? Well, it was a little bit of everything,
0: man. I mean, I was confident, but I was also, I also grew a little more scared and nervous, because along the way, I set personal goals for myself. And, um, you know, the first goal, obviously, was to make the top 24. And and then the second goal was uh, knowing that they were going to take the top 10 contestants on a nationwide tour. After the show ended, I really wanted to be a part of that. I really wanted to see the country. I really wanted to experience touring. And so I knew that as we were embarking on the top 12 week, I knew, all right, just make it or break it. I really got to Pick the right songs. I got to sing them well, and I got to stay in this thing to make the tour. You know, mm-hmm. um so those those you know around the top twelve, those few weeks were especially nerve wracking because I still I still had a mission to accomplish. I still had goals that hadn't been been met yet. So yeah, I would say that I put a little more pressure on myself, and along along with that came the outside pressures, just made it a little more nerve wracking. But you know, again, luckily I was able to you know stick it out. I think. I think what you said earlier about just, you know, I, I think I, it's fair to say that I was, I was quite the dark horse, you know, I kind of came out of left field yeah. um, because they didn't show my audition until later on, you know, re- really late in the show. And they never showed, you know, they didn't, they didn't really show too much of, they didn't really show a lot of packages on me. And right. um, so like you said, I was just, you know, and you didn't get was, you didn't
1: get the pimp spot in the performance order, things like that. So yeah, clearly definitely a dark horse.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I love that. I love being able to prove people, uh, I guess, prove myself and or or prove people wrong. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: maybe that's not necessarily what I was doing back then, but or, or I was doing it unknowingly. And and I love that aspect of the show. I I you know I just let my voice do the talking, so to speak. And and uh, and I think at the end of the day, that's what people can connect with the most: natural, natural talent, natural abilities, and uh, and coming from in uh, you know a, a certain level of anonymity. Uh, to the big stage and uh, still being able to make something out of it, I think was, uh, I think was something that really connected with folks, you know, and you know, that kind of, uh, gee whiz, oh gosh, mentality. I think, uh, I think people really were drawn to that
1: in a huge way. And
0: yeah, yeah, it made people just want to, want to keep seeing me more and keep voting for me and, and keep, keep me in this thing, you know?
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I won't go through every week because we'll literally be here all night, but there are a few, I do want to hit on for sure. One of them was top 11 week because you did teach me tonight. And dude, I'm I'm asking you this because I'm a huge Barry Manilow fan. Anyone who knows me knows that. He was the mentor that you worked with that week. What was it like getting a chance to meet and work with him for, even if it's just for a few minutes? And although I remember you admitting during the package that you didn't know the song well and you were having difficulty learning it, you certainly pulled it off because you nailed the performance and you got really good reviews uh, from the judges afterwards. But I, I guess my question is, All right, so you're with peers, okay? Sure, Paula, Randy, Simon, they're they're stars, but you're sort of getting used to them. You've dealt with them for a while now. And now you're singing with a bunch of colleagues at this point because you guys are all colleagues that are competing against each other. But now you're in the finals. And one week you got Stevie Wonder as a mentor. Now you got Barry Manilow. Is that a little bit overwhelming? Starting to get to see these, you know, large in life personalities spending a couple of minutes working with them? Could that get a little overwhelming as well, at least at first?
0: Yeah. At first it was super overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. But when you get down to it, you know, most, most of our mentors were pretty personable and made us feel really comfortable working with them and they were really supportive. So that helped. Yeah. And to be frank, you know, the only, the only, I, I had only really known about Barry Manilow through my mom. My mom had some of his records Yeah. and uh funny story. When I, before i I, before i went out to hollywood i told all my friends back home in richmond i was like man i'm not letting them put any makeup on me i'm not doing this makeup thing i've never worn (laughs) i've never worn makeup in my life and i don't plan on starting right now okay and everyone laughed and then of course little do i know that's just that comes with the territory with being on television right yeah (laughs) but so that being said meeting Barry manilow I had never, never seen more makeup on a man than I had <laughs> when, I, when, we met, when we met Barry Manilow. And he was hardly recognizable, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it was, a, it, was, it was really cool because that mentorship that week working with him was really cool because he was kind enough to host us at his show. So we got to, not only did we get to work with him, but the following day, we, we, or that, that night, because we shot in the morning. We shot all of our B-roll in the morning, and then that night we got to we got to sit in on his show that night in Vegas, and it was just incredible, and it was awe inspiring. This the showmanship that he had, his way with the crowd, his uh, his stage presence was just it was it was such an awesome learning experience getting to see that firsthand.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and so I I believe I said in my package before I came out, <laughs> which I <laughs> which I chuckled at backstage just before I walked out and sang that song. I said that uh you know before before we did this I didn't, I didn't really know much about Barry Manilow I didn't know much about him but now I'm, but now I'm a Barry fanilo Yeah <laughs> and So <laughs> and so I I really I really became a fan of his just because of what I had learned in that short period of time that we got to work with him and um and man it was so that was a unique week but I I took something away from every mentorship and everybody that we got came in contact with and got to work with because they were so experienced and well-established and had been doing this for so long. They had real careers, you know, and, and all of us had only hoped to be as successful as them, you know? So every week was such a great learning, like hands-on learning experience for us. And I, I soaked it up like a sponge, man. I really did. I was, I was there to learn. I was there to, to grow. And I was, you know, I, I was like a kid in the candy store, you know, you, you couldn't have had any better training than what we had at the time, you know?
1: Sure. Now we'll fast forward to week nine, a couple weeks. Week nine was country week, not your best one. You ended up in the bottom two, but you survived next week. And this first time in the show, I probably got pissed off. It was queen week and you did somebody to love. And I thought you rocked the hell out of that jam. The the critics loved it. The judges loved it. Yet you ended up in the bottom three. Obviously you survived because you you went on to, to sing for many more weeks. But at that point, you're two straight weeks in the bottom three. Week nine, week eight. Were you legitimately concerned at that point that this could be the end? Because again, you sang somebody to love really well, got really good reviews, but you were in the bottom three. How disheartening was that at the moment? And were you legit concerned that 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 your time might have been coming to an end right there?
0: Yeah, I was legit scared. I really was. You know, I I but I was also really confused too because you know Simon, you know when you get good good criticism from Simon. And you feel like you left everything out on the stage and you, you feel like personally you did your best and then to be in the bottom two or three or whatever it was, it's just, just a lot of confusion, you know? Sure. But knowing, knowing how the show works, I, I thought, well, maybe this is just their way of allowing other, uh, a allow contestants to get, to get more votes or keeping other contestants in or just making it more dramatic. You know what I mean? Right. I, I sort of had some, some of those inclinations as well. And that didn't bother me. I just, you know, I knew it was out of my hands. I knew the work was done, right? I I had done my done my job, done my performance, and the rest is in the hands of whoever whoever holds those cards. You know, so it it was confusing. I was just more confused. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just more more concerned that I wasn't going to make the tour than I was uh, concerned about uh, about getting getting the boot. You know, getting voted off. Um, yeah. And it was a little confusing, but. But again, you know, I, it's just kind of like being on an airplane. I, I travel a lot. I get to travel a lot. I fly a lot for gigs. And once you're up in the air, you're in that tube. It's like, it's all out of your hands, man. I mean, little turbulence here and there. It's never bothered me because what are you going to do about it? It's like,
2: true, yeah. It's
0: good, you know, good what are you going to do? The plane goes down. What do you, what do you, you, I have no power over that. And so I sort of, I've sort of learned quickly to, um, sort of brush aside the things I was powerless over. I didn't let it affect me too much, too much, but it was still concerning because I, again, I still have my own personal goals I wanted to accomplish. And all I could do was just, uh, you know, you know, outperform my last performance, you know, outdo my last best and, and kind of, you know, leave it all out there, man. As as cliche as that sounds, that's really how it was, you
1: know? Sure. Absolutely. Now two weeks later was one of your biggest moments on the show. Top six week you sang, and we talked about this a few minutes ago, a song for you by Bobby Hathaway, which you, you previously had done it in your audition round, and the, during Hollywood, but that hadn't been aired at the time. You brought that song to the big stage, and it, man, it was absolutely sensational. You brought, literally brought Paul Abdul to tears, and Simon said in parts that you had put on a vocal masterclass. What was that moment like for you to soak it up on stage? Hear those words on live TV in front of millions of people watching. You took an R&B classic, and you were credited in Simon's words with creating a vocal masterclass. In that moment, in front of millions of people, like I said, millions of people watching, what does that feel like?
0: Man, uh, well, it just it, it felt like a huge honor. And I was especially proud to take a song that maybe the core audience of American Idol wasn't familiar with and kind of bring it to the forefront. Absolutely. Because I had been a fan of his music since I was a kid. You know, my mom introduced me to him. And, and, and so I, just was, I was honored to be able to do that song some sort of justice, not that it needed any. But to to do it justice and maybe introduce the audience to a song they may have otherwise never heard before. So that that I took a lot of pride in. And and again another full circle moment because that was the song that got my toenail in the door of American Idol. You know that was my audition song and and it was a song that I sort of rode all the way into Hollywood. It kept working. So I'm one of those kind of people that if it ain't broke, you know what I mean? Yeah, I you hear know, you, so, man so I, the fact that I, and I, and I had, it was, that was also another, another accomplishment of mine because I had hoped to do that song with the band, you know, not just acapella right. with the band at some point on the show. And, uh, to, to, to have still been there during that time when that oppor- opportunity was presented to me, I took full advantage of it. And man, I, um, again, I was able to, to come through, you know, and, and, uh, and yeah, man. I mean, every anytime Simon, Simon praises you, it's just uh, it's just another another notch on the belt, you know. It's just like wow, yeah.
1: okay. It <laughs> doesn't happen all doesn't the time. Really... Not it doesn't happen every week with every artist. Let's just put it that way. That was one thing that was established on that show earlier. And of yeah. course, by the way, I met Donnie Hathaway, not Bobby Hathaway. I apologize for butchering his name there. The judges all seem to like you, all three of them. But it seemed like Paula was your biggest advocate. She was a big fan of yours.
0: Yeah, she was. Uh she was down with me from day one, man. And, and, uh, she, she out of the three judges was the, was the person that we had the most interaction with backstage and off camera. And she was just so supportive of all of us, man. I mean, she just loved all of us and loved being there and loved, loved her position at the show. And, And you could really tell she exuded that walking around, you know, and she was just so stoked to be there and be a part of it and be a part of our journeys. So yeah, man, I, I felt the love right, right away. And, We've kept in touch and done some work together since then. And um, in fact, I'm going to her birth. It was going to be a surprise birthday party, but she found out about it, so I can talk about it now. But she's having a birthday <laughs> party. <laughs> she's having a birthday party in June, and and I'll be in I'll be in attendance. And I'm looking forward to seeing her again. And, and yeah, man. I mean, you never forget the people who champion you. You know what I mean, right? You never. And it, and it takes it takes a village. It takes an army of people to believe in you to to to, to move forward, no matter what profession you're in. So to have someone like her of her stature and someone who's done all the amazing things she's done with her career, be in my corner that way. I felt really, really just helped really helped start my career. You know, it really helped. It helped me on the show. It helped, it helped, you know, the fact that she was in my corner really, really helped push me further, man. And I'm, I'm in debt with gratitude for that. You know, I have, I have the utmost gratitude for her and, and all three of the judges, man. I mean, for believing in me and, and taking a chance on me and, and, uh, You never forget that, man. Sure. You never forget that.
2: Right.
1: All right. So you survive another week after that. Now it's top four week. It's Elvis week. And I I ain't going to lie to you, my man. I I thought before the show, before that week, I was, I thought that was going to be the end of the road for you. You had been in the bottom three a handful of times, and then you had Daughtry and Taylor Hicks and Catherine McPhee left. And I didn't think Elvis was going to be a strong point for you, but dude, I was was wrong, man. If I could, if I could dream was unbelievable. Probably right back to the top when when you first started in the semis, where I felt like you came out of nowhere and won me over. I did not expect that. I thought that was incredible. And Trouble was awesome, too. Not only did you survive, but you didn't even end up being in the bottom two that week. It was Catherine and Daughtry, and then it was Daughtry who went home, which shocked many people at the time. How crazy was that 24 hours from you going from probably being, not probably, you were the underdog in that top four, but advancing and surviving? And now all of a sudden, you know, in your mind, I'm in the top three and you know, ahead of time, I'm sure that for top three week, you guys get to go home and have your celebrations. What was that 24 hours like for you that period of time?
0: I'll tell you, man, that was when I truly thought I was going home just because of the whirlwind experience that was, I mean, they, they flew us. Uh, to and from Memphis, like in a day, right? I mean, we did all that filming, all that work there in Memphis. Took a tour of Graceland. It was incredible, incredible experience. Mm-hmm. But it was so, it happened so fast and it was so quick. We didn't really have like, we just really didn't have time to really, uh, uh, to really cherish it or or enjoy it per se because we were in this fast moving bubble. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that experience was just. It was especially tough because we we didn't sleep. You know, we had to learn an extra amount of, uh, I think, an extra song for that week, extra lyrics, extra work, you know. Um, yeah. So there wasn't really a lot of time to, to soak all that up until it was over. So that alone just just really made me nervous. But it also pushed me to work harder and focus, focus more, you know. And funny thing about that night. I mean, everyone talks about Chris, Chris Daughtry's uh, expression when he found out he was going home. Mm-hmm. And um, and to this day, Chris and I are friends and we see each other every now and again. And uh, I often refer to him as number four. Um, <laughs> he'll often he'll often call me number three yeah. begrudgingly, and we'll uh, we'll have a good laugh about it um, because he's been so successful since his, since since the sure. show, you know. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun it's funny to kind of to kind of clown him about that. But yeah. um, but but yeah, man. I mean that was a that was a really stressful week because we had just done so much that week leading up to the actual performance. You know. That being said, I just thought okay, I got to really, I got to really step my game up, dude, because this is, you know, this is make or break. This is, uh, this is the moment, as Randy would say, this is the moment of truth, dog, you know, <laughs> see see what you are really made of. And, and, um, I surprised myself, man. I mean, I mean, there were so many times I surprised myself, but, but that week in particular, I thought, I thought, well, man, I mean, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got a real shot at making the finale, the actual finale of this show, which is done, you know, which is you know filmed at the the the, the world-famous kodak theater and, and uh so many eyes and ears are going to be on this finale and so many celebrities are going to be coming through and performing and i'll i'll get to share the stage with them. Are you kidding me like we're really here this is the end like this is we're here you know so yeah it was it was especially nerve-wracking and and uh and a difficult week but somehow man i i, I mustered up to you know the strength to to
1: To get through it. Dude, Elliot, I'm telling you, this is the God's honest truth, man. It brings back memories of one of my maybe it might be an embarrassing story. I don't know, but obviously the results show was on a Wednesday. And after work, I worked in downtown Buffalo at the time and we went to a happy hour and happy hour turned into longer than happy hour. And we're sitting there drinking. We have the American Idols on at the bar. There's only a handful of people there, maybe 10, 15 people, and a small group of us that are watching it. And again, when it was revealed that you weren't even in the bottom two. Dude, I, I I ran outside on like Main Street yelling up and down like the Buffalo Bills had just beaten the Miami Dolphins, you know, in the last play, the fourth quarter to win a game. Those people were looking at me like I was crazy because it wasn't even a sporting. There was no hockey game on the TV. There's no football game or anything like that. It was American Idol. And I just got all nuts and started running outside. I was so pumped that that you were going to make it to the top three. That was, I just, I don't know, man. It was it's kind of embarrassing, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it,
0: no, nah, no, nah, that's that's not embarrassing. What what might have been a little more embarrassing, and what I what I think I would I'd have more appreciation for is if you did one of those famous Orchard Park uh, beer keg stands and then somersaulted on <laughs> it on a, on a, on a uh, through a table it on a on a burning table. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> top,
1: all right, so top three week. I, I got to talk about this briefly here. Paula picks a good song for you. What you won't do for love. I thought that was great. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Clive Davis is the GOAT, okay? But open arms, me personally, I didn't like that pick at all for you, man. Well, then the results, whatever. Aside, how did you feel about that song choice, Open Arms? Did did you like that song choice? I mean, you sang it well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you didn't sing it well. I just wasn't crazy. As an LA I mean, fan, man, I, I wasn't feeling that song choice for you. I I felt like it was kind of generic and I felt like those aren't the type of songs that you do, especially during the final portion. You know, it was one thing you did having and stuff like that. And that was really good. But open arms, man, I just was not feeling that song choice. What about you? Now let's
0: be honest, man. Open arms sucked.
1: Yeah. No, I I thought you sang it well. I just didn't like the song. Yeah, no, I I loved the
0: song personally. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like the pick for me. Um, Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. I thought I sang it. I thought I sang it very poorly and it wasn't because I didn't like it. It was just, that was, that was an especially just a really tough, tough week for uh for obvious reasons but um but no i didn't i didn't like that pick i didn't really like i didn't really like my sit down my sit down interview and mentorship with clive actually we sort of butted heads not in a bad way it wasn't it wasn't bad it's just that he thought because because okay so that week we got a judge's pick we got clive's pick and then we got to pick one for our own mm-hmm. we have we had our own pick and the song that i had picked was called i believe to my Soul. Right. Um by uh by ray charles yep. and he he leaned over to me and he says listen kid uh i've been in the business a long time and nobody knows that song man it's a great song and i appreciate your pick but i'm telling you do something else and i thought to myself you know what excuse me mr clive davis <laughs> 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 I, I know you're uh you're a god in this business you know and, and i and i realized that but it's my pick i'm gonna pick what i want and i've made it this far on, mo- on mostly my own picks it hasn't broken yet, so why fix it i'm I'm gonna utilize my own pick and sing what i want to sing yeah and it's it's it turned out to be not so great as well, but I'm proud that I stuck to it and um and that I didn't falter in that and didn't I didn't waver at all and and yeah i just i didn't really i i didn't really uh that was probably my least favorite you know mentorship was with clive i I you know, I, I appreciated what he was telling me, but I just I didn't wanna I didn't wanna waver from what I had decided on doing, you know. I I wanted to go with my gut and stick to it and I'm glad I did. I wouldn't change a thing about it, man.
1: Yeah. You're gonna go down, yeah. go down the way you wanna go down. I completely agree with that hundred percent. I support that. Results stuff aside, that's the week you guys are treated like heroes. Footage of your return home to Richmond, the parades, people lined up in the street throwing out the first pitch at a baseball game, your mom crying tears of joy in the car. That was a scene that a lot of people won't soon forget who were fans of American Idol. I have to imagine that was one of the high points for you, not just of the show, but of your entire life to be able to go home and and get that type of treatment, you know, and and have that type of feeling.
0: Oh man, it's uh, it was an incredible day. I mean, one that I'll never forget. And I, well, I sure hope I never get Alzheimer's or dementia because, um, that was an it was in that day will live in infamy in my in my memory in my career, you know. For so long we had been out here in, in Hollywood, here in Los Angeles, like I said, just sort of in that bubble. You know, um, it's hard to really gauge how much love and support is out there because I wasn't paying attention to all the blogs and people writing online and and you know some people would try to tear you down. That never bothered me and, and that never really affected me and I didn't really pay too much mind to it. And and during the during the season, I get a lot of videos from friends and family members of of viewing parties at you know local establishments, bars and restaurants back in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And so I got to see I got to see a lot of people coming out and supporting me in that way. But it wasn't until I got home and just saw just the saw the the amount of love and support and people showing up in the streets and lining the streets and and really coming out to show how much how much support they had for me. It wasn't until then that I realized, wow, man, I'm, I'm really, I'm really inspiring people. I'm really, this is bigger than my voice. It's bigger than my own, my own dreams, my own goals and accomplishments. It's bigger than that. It's really representing a whole city, you know, a whole state yeah. for that matter. And, um, and it was just, it was just such a, such a joyful, incredible, surreal day. I, I had no idea what to expect going back there. I just didn't, I didn't know that it was going to be that way. I didn't, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think that what seemed to be the entire city would come out and show up for me, right. you know? And, um, and it really opened my eyes to, to sort of realize that, Hey, this is, this is really a, truly a gift, you know, not to, not to get too mushy, but it's, it's really a gift, you know, when you can s- sing and perform and sort of make people, make people forget about their, the ills of the world, their troubles, their personal issues they're dealing with, to sort of free people of concern is sort of uh, sort of the outline of what we get to do, you know? Yeah. And to, to be able to see that firsthand and see how many people I had made proud and how many people I had touched and affected in such a positive way was uh, was really special.
1: It was, I'll never forget watching it on TV. I was completely blown away by it. You end up in what was the closest vote, literally the closest vote in American Idol history being eliminated there in the, in the top three there, the final three. I remember people being absolutely irate that it wasn't you and Taylor Hicks in the finale. I remember going on the boards right afterwards, seeing the polls online and all that stuff. This was before Twitter, by the way, like MJ's big blog, all these American Idol dedicated blogs and seeing it. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? It felt like you had prepared yourself, though. You looked, at least on TV anyway, you looked like, all right, man, I, I made the top three. I'm going to be back singing with somebody next week regardless of what happens. It looked like you had prepared yourself that no matter what happens, that you were ready to accept it and move forward. Am I right in assuming that?
0: Yeah, you were. You are. I mean, you are right. <laughs> yes, I had I thought, once again, you know, like I did the best that I could could have done. I know that I could have done better but given the circumstances, I thought I handled it, handled it quite well. And, um, again, left it all out on the stage. I was exhausted though, man. And I think, I think, uh, I think you could tell, you know, not just by my performances, but just, I think, I, I think I was sort of, uh, I sort of exuded that as well. I think we all were, I I don't, I think it's, I'm fair in saying I speak for, for, uh, Catherine and, and Taylor, you know, and, It was just such a really, really, it's just such a busy, busy week. And and there was so much going on, not just what you saw on TV, but all the media requests and interviews and, and all the stuff, uh, you know, off the field, so to speak, um, that, that we were dealing with leading up to that performance night. So, but yeah, I knew that regardless if I went home, I knew that I would, I would be, you know, I knew that I would be, uh, coming back to the finale as, as many, many of my other, uh, my other peers would be. And I knew that, Hey man, you know, I, I, I can't even second guess any of that stuff. Like I, I'd come so far and I'd come so far and and I had just, uh, I had accomplished so many of my own personal goals. I was, I was ready for whatever was to come, you know, let's just put it that way. I was ready and I was, and I was just, just fine with, with, uh, what the outcome was going to be. I'll tell you one thing, quick story. The only thing that I was a little sore about, and I'll tell you, this is. <laughs> This this, this gods on truth. true every week um after results night we would go to uh, a restaurant called uh boca di peppo
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know it's an italian chain we would go there and we would have what's called a kiss off dinner and we would all eat together and we would sort of roast whoever got voted off that night and they were always just so much fun man i mean you know we gave each other shit we'd uh you know we we clown we clown whoever was uh whoever was uh, the person that got voted off we'd have this great meal together you know we got to know each other's family members and friends and whoever would be in town that week for their performances um and we and we just shared we shared our moments together at that dinner every week and uh it was something i always look forward to whether i was going home or or not and i never got that experience and i always wanted to know what that would have felt like having you know being being roasted And, and i was always interested to see how people would <laughs> yeah. would yeah. would react to that at the dinner and I right. and because I because I made it so far which is such a blessing there was nobody left to like there was no one dinner. left you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so i never got to experience that and that's that's i think that's probably what i was most sore about not not being voted off or um, you know not being able to to, to be a uh, you know in the top 2 in the in the finale but but not getting kissed off not getting roasted you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> well dude For the finale, man, you you singing with Mary J. Blige, I can't imagine what that must be like for you. At some point, you have to think to yourself, you got to pinch yourself and be like, yo, man, at one time, I'm here in Virginia singing some local karaoke. I'm singing Stevie Wonder songs at karaoke. And now, a couple of years later, I'm on stage in front of literally millions of people watching the, the biggest, highest rated show on television, and I'm doing a duet with Mary J. freaking Blige. I mean, was that, how overwhelming was that for you at at that moment? Or even now today, thinking about it years later.
0: Extremely. Yeah. I mean, extremely, like, like you said, I mean, here, here I come from this, you know, I'm this kid from this, you know, small, small city, you know, just, just, uh, the extent of my experience is, uh, you know, karaoke and, singing at parties, and now I'm literally holding hands with Barry J. Blige on the the biggest stage in the world, man. I mean, (laughs) uh, like like you said, it it, it was a pinch-free moment, and there were so many leading up to that point, and so many since, but that one in particular was extremely nerve-wracking, because she she's kind of a no nonsense kind of person like she was like "Uh uh-uh child you're not gonna have these nerves around me we're gonna go out there we're gonna perform the shit out of the song (laughs) and we're gonna kill it you know what i
2: mean yeah
0: like um even during rehearsal i recall her like she she sort of shook me a little bit like she grabbed my hand and she shook it she's like come on come on now don't hold back you know (laughs) she she sort of had to bring me out of my shell because i just couldn't believe what 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 was happening you know so that being said it was, it was awesome, man. I mean, it was, it was so cool. I was so nervous. I didn't, I didn't think I performed that, you know, we sang one by you two. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I think, I think that even though I had enough, nobody really left to impress like the judges, I wasn't going to be judged. You know, it was just sort of, I of I sh- I should have felt a little more free in that performance than I did. But, but like you said, it's Mary freaking Mary J freaking Blythe. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> like,
1: Christ, man. I mean, <laughs> <that's-> <laughs> It's, it's a, a, quite a difference. I, again, I love karaoke. I love hearing people sing locally at the bar or, or, you know, local shows and stuff. That's a pretty big difference between singing in front of a couple dozen people or whatever and being on stage with Mary J. Blige, one of the biggest singing stars in the entire world. That's got to be a pinch me moment. It has to be.
0: Yeah, it really was. and It was so different from our, our, our previous mentorships. You know, it's one thing to, uh, to shoot some B-roll with, uh, with, with these amazing artists, you know, in the studio or wherever we would be but to actually go out on on that stage with them and performing with them in tandem was just a whole a whole different ball game yeah man i i'd say i'd say my nerves definitely affected that performance a little bit but again i wouldn't change wouldn't change a damn thing about it you know i i felt incredibly lucky to be in that position and and um you know being and then, and then the fact that they invited so many more so many more pat you know contestants from that from our season kind of being reunited with
2: mm-hmm.
0: with the rest of my peers that we had shared shared like twenty hours a day with all day every day during that whole season was uh was was really special and it was a lot of fun to get to share that night with all of them and uh you know the friendships and the bonds that were forged throughout that season that will that are that are eternal you know that will last forever um it was cool to get to share that with them. And, uh, and boy, did we have a blast that night. And then, and the after party that night after it was just, uh, <laughs>
1: I get imagine. Was of, I get a lot of fun, man. <laughs> Do you, you, you form really close relationships with these, with these men and these women that you're competing with, singing with whatever way you want to label it, you get really close after all that time at the same token though. And I'm not asking for any dirty laundry airing or anything like that, but spending that much time for that long with these people It's also got to get a little bit testy at times too. You know what I mean? You're, you're around people. I don't care who it is. You could be your own real life brother or sister or whatever. When you're around somebody that much, that often things could get a little bit testy. I would imagine as well.
0: Yeah, they did. They did. But to be honest, you know, I, I I have to tell you, it's, if, if you're looking for juice, there's just none to provide, man. Because we, if, if we were testy, we were testy because of the constrictions, I guess, around us, you know, they, they didn't want us going out at night by ourselves without security, well, they didn't really want us going anywhere, you know, without their knowledge. They didn't want us, we didn't really have a lot of freedom, yeah. even though we were, even though most of us were, uh, were well into our adulthoods, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we, I think it was the constrictions and the, the rules and the guidelines that came along with that, the authority, sort of the authority over us, sort so to speak. I think is what made us testy at times, but with each other, towards each other, there was nothing but love and support. You know, it, it, as cliche as it sounds, I mean, we weren't competing against each other. We were competing against our, our, ourselves, our last performances. Right. And so with that came a lot of support and love within our group. You know, we all rooted for each other and, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like okay, this week I'm beating Tay Tay, or this week Bucky, I'm I'm gonna sing better than Bucky and he's going home. There was, was never, there was never those those that sentiment, you know. It was always just love and support, man, because we were all in this together, you know. We'd all, we all we're all sort of of the same ilk in regards to how we got there. You know what I mean? Did
1: it make um, did it make going on tour more fun afterwards? Because American Idol is a singing competition. Going on tour, and by the way, I caught your tour. In fact, season five is the only one I have actually everyone and saw. I saw it in Rochester, New York. But my point being is, are you guys a little more relaxed? Because again, it's not a competition. You, just, you guys are going out there performing with each other and not necess- you're not performing for America's vote. You know what I mean? You're just going out there and trying to put on the best show collectively as a unit.
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It was so much fun. We sold out 60 uh, shows at the biggest arenas in the country all over. the. In fact, they had to add 12, 12 ex- extra shows to our tour because it sold out so quickly. So imagine, you know, imagine rolling into each city we roll into and having, you know, it looked like it basically looked like my hometown visit every city we went to. OK, mm-hmm. so just imagine the streets lining every hotel we rolled into. We It would be like a, a kind of equated to like, you know, how how, you know, team buses pull up to a hotel or, or to, a, to a venue for a game. And, yeah. And fans, you guys were like, a, yeah, you
1: guys are like a 90 bulls at one time. Yeah,
0: I get it. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> dude, we really were, man. And, um, so that alone was surreal, but so, yeah, I mean, with that came a lot more freedom. We no longer had to vie for any judges support or, or, um, approval. It was just, let's just go have some fun guys, you know? And, um, luckily for me, you know, for the five guys, there were five guys and five girls Mm -hmm. on the, on, on our tour, the five of us guys, we had our own bus. We all lived together on a tour bus. We were all friends. We all hung out constantly anyways. So being on the road together, experiencing all that together with your friends, right. Made it that much more fun and that much more cooler and and just that much more special. So, um, yeah. And again, uh, no nerves, no, the nerves. I mean, we had, we had enough nerves to last, a million lifetimes, right? Uh, during yeah. that process, so I think part of the reason we had so much fun was because you know the, our competing days were over with, right? We were just now we just had this set tour. Everything was was uh, everything was laid out for us, you know. All we all we did all we had to do now was just have fun and uh, and let it all just let it all hang out, man. And 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 that's exactly what we did on that tour, and it was just another great, incredible. Incredible experience, you know, to get to to tour the country that way, and and uh, uh to get to to take what we had done on the show and 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 really and really kind of take our experiences and and sort of show that on the on these big in, the, in these big arenas that way it was uh was really cool, man. And it was super posh, man. We we you know we stayed at the you know five star hotels. We got massages before every show. Yeah, uh meals were cooked for us. And I remember the first thing when we first got on the bus and our tour manager was like. Don't get used to this, guys. Do not get used to this, because
2: because
0: uh, some of you may never get to experience right. this again, and that's and that's okay. But at the same time, let's enjoy this and have a yeah, blast. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's exactly what we did, man. I mean, it was it was it was so much fun.
1: <laughs> now you released a self titled album after Idol, March two thousand seven, It hit number two on the U.S. charts, number one on the indie charts, sold over a half million copies in the U.S. Let me ask you this, because this is something that happens often. How hard is it? for contestants on shows like American Idol to find that commercial success after their Idol run or their run on, on The Voice or whatever, these other shows, you're in a very small percentage, you specifically, are in a small percentage of former contestants that went on to have some pretty good commercial success afterwards. A lot of these artists, they're on the show, they're in front of the world, and then when the show's over, for whatever reason, they just don't find that commercial success. It's very hard to find after the show's over, isn't it?
0: It, it, yeah, it really is, man. Because you're sort of, you know, if if American Idol and their um, and their management team and the the ties that they have to the record labels, if they don't, you know, if they don't pick up your option. So we were all under contract through the end of the tour, right? Mm-hmm. So once August August came around and we were done touring, they uh, you know, they had the right to pick up your option to you know either the the management side of things or the record label side of things, and I found out. Kind of early on in the tour that they weren't going to pick up my option, and I was just fine with that, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I had already been sort of planning my post-idle life. I, I had put together a, a great team of, a, a great management team together, and uh, people who really believed in me, and uh, and and had a lot of great connections. and And the iron was still somewhat hot, right? So yeah. I wanted to to make sure that you know, that this wasn't the end for me. It didn't end here. It just, it just sort of, it's the beginning of the, of the blossoming of a new chapter, you know? So that being said, and, and let's, let's be real. I mean, back then, you know, Idol was like sliced bread, right? I mean, it was a little, I think it's fair to say it was a little easier to enjoy some post Idol success back then than it is now. Oh yeah. Because, yeah. and there are many factors to that. I mean, the market the market's a little oversaturated now. And, and, uh, I mean, there are so many, there was a multitude of reasons for that. But um, that being said, I mean, there were so many, so many finalists and non-finalists who endured uh, or who enjoyed success after our season, um, not just the winner, you know, and, and not just the winners. And, you know, again, uh, just right place at right time, capitalizing on opportunities and having a little, having a few stars aligned and having, uh, having a little luck, you know, to, to, do, to accomplish another goal, which was to make an album uh, and really become uh a national recording artist, and yeah man, I you know again it take like I said earlier, it takes a village, it takes an army of people no one can no one goes at it alone, you know yeah, um, so I was really lucky to have those those uh those kind of professionals in my corner once the show had had ended to help steer me in the right direction to accomplishing my my next goals, which was to you know to to make an album and to to go uh to go, you know, to, to further this thing along, you know, and keep, keep doing it.
1: Way for you. That was your biggest single and went, it reached all the way to number 13 on the Billboard chart. Oh, that was my jam, by the way. Great song. That was number one on the VH uh, top 20 video countdown. It spent eight weeks at number one there as well. Like I said, you were one of the fortunate ones, especially as an independent artist. I, I would say this much. I would surmise this. If I have one beef with American Idol or The Voice or any of these shows like that, and I, I'm sure there's. Reasons for it, but why don't more artists get to come back and perform? Now, you did get to come back on Idol and you performed way for you, I remember that very well. But a lot of artists they have a song, and maybe I don't know, maybe it's because it's not on that company's label or something. But why don't more artists get to come back during say results shows and get to perform their songs as opposed to say Bruno Mars or Fergie or some mainstream act like that? I get it, they're the big names, but if I'm tuned in and I'm emotionally invested in following American Idol every year, I want to see people come back in future seasons and maybe perform. Like somebody like, just just take your season. Somebody like uh, Mandeza or something like that. Bucky Covington. I want people like that who are on the show to come back over the next couple seasons. And I want to hear what they got. If they got original music, I'd rather hear that than Bruno Mars or Fergie. Do you agree with me? Or is there a reason why things like that didn't happen more often or don't happen like that more often? No, I I
0: absolutely agree, agree with you 100%. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think it behooves them to not have, you know, some of their success stories back because it only, it only just uh just validates what they do and what they're about, you know. Yeah. And and it sort of it sort of just encapsulates the American dream, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know why that happens more often. I think I think you're right in assuming because I'm only assuming too, but I I think you're right in assuming that if it's not an artist that they have signed uh to their to their own deals, you know, mm-hmm. post idol, that it maybe maybe in their eyes it doesn't benefit them as much. But it that doesn't really make sense to me because I am I sort of I believe that I epitomize what American Idol is all about. And yeah. even even though they never signed me to anything anything of theirs uh, professionally like their you know their label their management team they've still been so supportive and so good to me i I've, I've been back on the show a multitude of times since yes. then and i'm not a winner and i just again i don't know how that happened but but i they just they've always believed in me they've always s- seen something in me and uh even when i did you know and and i i'm just again i'm in debt with the amount of gratitude that i have for for the producers of the show and how they they've treated me in my career and how supported they've been that being said some other contestants who are way more talented than i am haven't had that those, those same opportunities you know and and uh i've often wondered that you know it's funny we we talk about a lot of us from seasons past um we all end up you know a lot of us end up in la and so we see each other a lot or you know we end up on the same bill at, at gigs all over the country and you know we 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 know each other and right. uh some of us some of us become friends we talk about it every year we're like why don't they just do like a reunion tour or take some of the season's favorites from seasons past and put them on a tour and, and, uh, they've never done that. And, or a show in Vegas or something. They've never done that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we always wonder why. And, and we've never gotten a real clear answer on that, <laughs> but, but I agree, man, I would, I would rather see, I would rather see more artists who, who, who spawn from the show, come back and do their thing as opposed to some, Established artists that everyone knows, because that's not really what the show is about, right?
1: Sure, exactly. Um, yeah,
0: and I have, but I have to tell you, you know, th- there is there is sort of a this stigma attached to to artists of my ilk, those that respond from reality TV shows, right? That okay, maybe they're not real artists. Maybe they're not. Maybe they shouldn't be taken as seriously as uh, as let's say a Bruno Mars or or another budding artist, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I I've, I've never understood that because. You know, we're, we we're all just we're all just trying to make it survive and do what we're all trying to to, to do what what these well-established artists are doing. You know, I have to say, man, I like like I said, I, I've been singing since the doctor said push, but I didn't know what it was like to be a true artist until being on that show. So once right. again, um, you know, once again, I I wasn't this artist trying to make it before I tried out for the show. I I was very green to that whole process. You know. I wasn't like writing songs in my bedroom late at night thinking, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make it someday. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take these songs. They're going to, you know, I wasn't doing any of that. So I I had to learn how to do all that. And I'm lucky to still be be doing it today, you know, but I just didn't have any experience in that. And I think, I think maybe that's part of the stigma, why people have that stigma attached to American Idol cast offs is like, Oh, they, you know, they're not, they're not really serious. It can't be taken seriously. And I think that's just a little unfair, you know?
1: Sure. Now, you did a couple albums in the United States and you have went on to have some pretty good success in Japan afterwards as well. That interests me. How, let me ask you this. How tough is this? And I attribute this to a lot of professional athletes that I have on this show as well. How tough is it to be in a field where the world could be like kind of a cruel place? You know, the majority of people love Ellie Yamin. They love your music. They love you as a person. But... You're always going to have some haters, you know, people who just feel good about themselves hating on others who will say that your music sucks, that your album flops, whatever nasty hurtful shit that they can come up with. How hard is it sometimes to be in an industry where I'd imagine to some extent, at least you need to develop much thicker skin? Well, I tell you,
0: uh, I tell you, I get as much joy out of doing what I do as whoever is listening or or whoever's in front of me or whoever's buying my music or now streaming my music. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I get just as much enjoyment out of that as they do, you know? uh, So that kind of stuff kind of comes with the territory. Not everyone's going to, this business, especially this industry and and yours too, um, are filled with no's. You're just going to hear no after no after no way more than yeses. Right. Right. And, and I think that that is how the world works. (laughs) (laughs) it's really how, it's really how the real world world works. And I've always understood that, you know, I've, I've never, I've, I've had to earn everything that I've, that I have, I've had to to earn everything that I've gotten in this life. And that doesn't stop now. It only gets a little harder. Right. Um, But because I'm so weathered and so used to that real world, I've never let the hating get to me or bother me. It's never, it's, it's never affected, affected me. Uh, it's never affected me in a negative way. You know, it's, it It I think it inspires me really, you know, it's, if someone's is hating or, or has some negative stuff to say, they still, they still know who I am. They still, they still listen to my music or they've still, you know, they've still heard, heard of me or heard from me. Right. And that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, uh, you know, any impression you can make, I think is a you know, I think is a positive. I mean, I tried to make only good impressions. <laughs> but uh but when you when you can make an impression on someone, make them feel something, whether it's good or bad, I think uh I think it's inspiring.
1: I agree. We're gonna to start to wind down here. Why is it seemingly that all athletes want to be music stars. I always have people on the show and, you know, if you could be anyone, what, would, what do you want to do? You want to be a singer or whatever, but yet all music stars want to be great professional athletes. Is it like, is it the rush <laughs> that comes with doing something at that highest level, the competition, the fans the lifestyle? What is it? Why do all you guys want to be athletes and athletes want to be singers or actors? Yeah. That-
0: that, that's a great point. And uh, that, seems, that seems like ever so present in our, in our two industries, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, when they, and when they intersect, I think they intersect a lot because of the fact that I think unless you've experienced that kind of rush in front of a crowd like that, whether it's on a field or on a court or in an arena uh, or on, on a stage in an arena, it's really hard to describe and it's really hard to relate to that, to that feeling yeah um so i think there's that connection i think athletes and musicians sort of share that that kind of um that kind of rush and that kind of experience you know and i think i mean music music just plays a part in everybody's daily lives you ever met a person who said they don't listen to music i don't think i have
1: i've never have and i don't think i ever yeah. will I,
0: I don't i don't think i will either i'm a big uh i'm a big fan of the show uh the office big, and, oh my um,
1: god
2: that's my show so,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So Angela, the, the girl who plays Angela, I, there's a, there's a scene in in one of the early seasons where she says she doesn't listen to music. She finds it. She finds it. uh, She says something about how she just doesn't listen to music and how she finds it just uh, a waste of time or something like that. But that's the only, that's the only time I've ever heard anybody say that about music. So, (laughs) and that's, that's not reality, right? That's right. that's, that's, That's a television show. But, but so I think, you know when you i follow a lot of athletes and you 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 see when they're preparing for a game or even just that being at a game or watching it on tv you hear music is a part of the fabric of the game you know when, when they're warming up or when they're they're working out or when they're getting ready for a big game there's always music when you know when batters step in the box and on the baseball field they come into their favorite songs you know what i mean so i think i think they sort of go hand in hand i think you know, music just plays, plays a part in everyone's daily lives and, and is sort of a a, a soundtrack to how to, to, to great memories and, and, uh, and, you know, unforgettable times. Right. So I, I think that's probably why, you know, and I think, and like you said, I just think because uh, that the experience of getting that rush in front of the crowd, I think is what draws is what draws each industry's uh, closer to one another, you know?
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. So before we end with my traditional mini lightning round, fans out there listening, what are you up to nowadays? I know you're still doing gigs, traveling and stuff like that. What are you up to?
0: Well, it's pretty simple, man. I'm I'm up to just uh, writing writing new records, cult writing uh, with other artists, peeing on some of my own projects and, and other artist projects as well, and, and just continuing to play out and gig anywhere the music will have me, anywhere I'm asked to perform. And luckily, I still get to do that for a living. I still get to call music my livelihood, which is just in today's, society it's uh it's kind of hard to say and kind of kind of unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) that i've that i've lasted this long but but that's sort of my um sort of who i am man i'm i'm I'm, i guess i'm just the dark horse forever (laughs) 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 you know to be able to to do what i love is such a blessing and to love what i do is even even more so and and um look i had the experience i've worked plenty of nine to fives and crummy jobs that i hated and bosses that were jerks and and done so many jobs that i just didn't want to do but but all that prepared for me prepared me for for this for this life and yeah. uh knowing knowing that could it could be taken away from me at any time it could end just like that i think is what helps motivate me to stay focused and stay you know motivated to keep keep doing this and, and it only gets tougher and harder but and and it's so unstable, man. It's just so unstable. Sometimes you never really know when your next paycheck is coming or when your next gig's coming from. But it keeps me on my toes. And it keeps me uh, you know, like I said, it keeps me motivated to keep going and, and I'm I'm super grateful, man. So yeah, as long as I can keep making music, um, for a living. There are other things I'd love to get into. I would love to do Broadway someday, try that. I would love to do some voiceover work someday. So there's you know, there are some other goals and, and accomplishments that I, that I have in, in my, uh, you know, in my horizon. Um, so I'm going to try to continue to work towards those and, you know, and just stay humble and stay, stay hungry and stay grateful, man. You know? Yeah. No doubt about (laughs) it.
1: All right. We're going to end with a mini lightning round. I'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. I do this with all my guests, whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, like a rapid fire style, that's going to be your answer. Right. You good with that? Certainly, let's do it. You've traveled the world. One not everyone gets to do that. You've done that. What's your favorite city to visit? Tokyo. Favorite TV show is already the office, so we're gonna skip that. Favorite sports movie. Go ahead. What's your second? Go ahead. What's the second one?
0: My first favorite, my first favorite TV show is actually Seinfeld.
1: Okay. Office is second.
0: Office is a is a very close second. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. That's cool, man. They, by the way, if I ever someday down the road, I'm gonna have you back on this podcast. We're not gonna talk about singing idol or anything. We're gonna talk about The Office. That'll be that'll be down the road though. Favorite Dude, sports I have, movie.
0: I, I have to tell you, man, Go just ahead. really quick. I, I uh, last month I was well, a month and a half ago, I was back home visiting my my brand new niece, and um I saw I saw in Los Angeles magazine that this bar downtown LA was having a um a, the office trivia bar crawl. Oh. And I had never, I had never heard of anything like that before in my life. And I was so, so bummed that I was going to miss it. Like re- I was legit sad because I knew that I would have <laughs> cleaned, I would have cleaned house, man. I would have cleaned house. Um, And I just hope and pray that, that, that comes back to, that comes back around someday. Cause I, I will stop. The world will stop for that.
1: <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent, man. All right. Favorite sports movie.
0: Ooh, favorite sports movie. That's tough, man. There's so many. Um, i probably have to say Major League.
1: Me too. That's mine yeah. too. In fact, I just oh, watched uh, it again for like the 90th time a couple of days ago it was on, I watched it. Yes. All right, not yes. counting anyone from your season, and this is going to be a tough question, not counting anyone from your season, who's your favorite American Idol contestant ever?
0: Oh man, i probably have to say, um, I'd probably say Adam Lambert.
1: Okay, what was a song that you wanted to do on the show but couldn't for whatever reason? Either you couldn't get it cleared, whatever reason it may have been, the song that you wanted to do that you didn't end up getting to do. Well, there's just there's just one, and it wasn't that big
0: of a deal. But I, during Elvis Week, that which we talked about earlier, um, I really wanted to sing that song in the ghetto.
2: Oh, really? and,
0: um, and 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 bef- and I had I had. I didn't know that that Taylor Hicks had chosen that before I did, and because he had chosen it first, and he loved that song and knew it better than me, <laughs> you know, he sort of had dibs on it, and he was he was prepared to like let it go and let me do it, but I was like, you know what, dude, you already picked it, you're gonna slay it, so keep it, it's all good. So yeah, that was like the the one and only time though that I had picked a song that someone else had picked that. Uh, you know, that I, that I just wasn't able to do. So I'd say that's, that's probably my answer is in
1: the ghetto by Elvis. If you would have gotten that song, if Taylor didn't already have it picked, which of those two Elvis songs would you have not done? Would you have not done trouble or would you have not done if I could dream?
0: Oh, dude, that's a great question because.
1: I think it worked I, out
0: for you. It, it did. and you know, I've never looked back on that. Like, so I've never like, what if those performances, you know what I mean? I thought I came out and just, Crushed them. I thought I, and I, and for me to just say that is just super rare because I never think that, like ever. But, <laughs> but I thought I really, I thought I really met the challenge well that week. Man, that's a, that's a great question. I would probably say, I would probably say, even though trouble is kind of more in my wheelhouse because it's kind of bluesy and a little more soulful than if I could dream, I would probably say, I would switch out, I would switch out uh, trouble with in the ghetto.
1: That's the right answer.
0: Yeah, just because if if I could dream is such a it's such a poignant song and, and and pretty well known and and it's and it's sort of an important song and I thought that it was uh if I could dream was sort of suited me for 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 the time that I was on the show it sort of personified like really what I was going through yeah you know what I mean so yeah that's my answer
1: I like that I'm t- I'm, I'm glad that it worked out that way I really like that song a lot in fact I can prove to you right now I don't have any notes in front of me I remember Paula talking about Elvis, that was his closing song at a lot of his performances. I remember saying that during her critique of your performance. Anyway, let's move That's on. Right. It worked That's out. Right, let's yeah. just leave it at that. All right. Of, <laughs> yeah. Last couple of questions here. Of all the celebrities and artists that you've gotten a chance to meet while you're on Idol or maybe since Idol, who's the one that you were probably most in awe of? Um.
0: Well, there are two. I, I have to say, first on, first off, it was it was Stevie Wonder. If you remember the package day show before I came out and and attempted to sing a Stevie Wonder song, yeah. I was just, I burst into tears when he walked in the room. I just, because what was really sweet about that moment was that every, all of my other peers on the show at the time knew what a huge Stevie Wonder fan I was. I mean, who isn't, right? Right. It's just, who isn't? But them knowing that and knowing how moved I would be by getting to, getting to perform with him, they kept it under wraps, like the producers all my other peers, nobody said a word about who we were working with that week. That week, And so to me, it was just, it was a total surprise. We didn't even know it was going to be Stevie Wonder week. So, or actually, I think we did. We just didn't know that he was actually going to be our mentor for that week. Right. So, And how, how they kept that a secret with all the big mouths I'm surrounded by, including myself, I have no idea. That's just, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a wonder in itself. But, um, but when he walked in the room, I was just so shocked that we were in his presence I just felt like there was a ghost walking in the room. Like I'd seen a ghost, you know, and, uh, and I was just overwhelmed. I couldn't even, it just, the waterworks just started flowing and I couldn't, I couldn't hold back the tears just cause I was so excited, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, but then years later, I got invited to like a, a ACL, a ACLU, like awards or like a benefit awards gala. And I got to meet magic on the red carpet and I got a great picture with him. and, and that picture is hanging on my wall here. And, and, uh, man, he was just so personable and so, so cool. And just everything you, you thought he'd be from the outside looking in, like you, you just everything you think magic, magic is in person, he really was to me. And, and just being an idol of mine for since as long as I can remember since I was a kid, just getting to, to shake his hand was, would swallowed. his hands are so huge. They, they swallowed mine. My, my hand just disappeared in his handshake. Um, but, but getting to, to hang out with him and talk to him those few minutes that I did on the, on the carpet, uh, was, was pretty surreal and just something I'll, I'll, uh, I'll always cherish.
1: I'm sure. All right. Last question here, and this is going to be a tough one too. Had it not been for American Idol or let's just say you gave music a run, and it, j- it just didn't work out for you. And this is tough because I feel like you're one of those people who are just destined to make music for a living, but let's just say something happened and you didn't. What do you think you may have went on to do with your life if it wasn't for music that's a great question uh you know i i if i to be fair
0: i'd probably just say i'd probably have to say I would probably be doing something sports related i've become i've had the i've had the privilege of getting to know a lot of uh a lot of people over the years who work for baseball teams and some basketball teams. And, and so just kind of in awe of their positions, you know, whether they're like the talent coordinators for the Washington nationals, shout out to my, shout out to my homie, Tom Davis, (laughs) um, or, or just like, you know, people that have positions on, on, um, in, in different, you know, professional sports organizations or, you know, or maybe sports radio, uh, I, I grew up listening to the radio and and when I was 19 through 21, I was an on-air personality at a rhythm station in, uh, in Richmond, Virginia. So I don't know, sports related, something sports related, um, a sports radio or, or, um, maybe, you know, working for a team or something along those lines. I think, I think I would, th- those, you know, because that really interests me and I'm, I'm pretty well versed in the sporting world. I think, I'd probably be doing. I'd probably be doing something sports related.
1: That's yeah, and you see, like the kind of guy that really needs to do something that he loves doing. Like, I could, I could definitely see that for you as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's that's what life's all about, man. When we can find that thing that really, you know, that that really fulfills us to to do it for a living to to actually earn a paycheck from from it. It's, it's hard to call work, even though it is, you know, because everyone has to work hard to you know, to accomplish what they set out to do. But, but it's really hard. You know, they say, when you do what you love, you never work another day in your life. And, and I, I've experienced that to be somewhat, somewhat true.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No question about it, man. <laughs> all right, everyone go on Twitter and give Elliot a follow at Elliot Yamin. Information about music, shows, news, all kinds of stuff is on there. My man, Elliot Yamin, dude, this was a legit thrill for me, man. Thanks so much for doing this podcast. I appreciate you.
0: Ah uh, Patrick, it's been my pleasure, man. And it was a thrill for me too. And I really uh I really am grateful for the time and, and uh and all your support, brother.
1: All right, that is gonna do it for today. Big thank you again, Elliot Yamin. That was awesome. It really was. That was the longest interview, by the way, I've ever had on this podcast. And I'm telling you right now, I could have easily gone another two hours with him. I had some questions that I didn't even get to a lot of post-American Idol questions, but I felt like I took up enough of his time. So I just left it at that. But what a thrill that was for me to get him on. My favorite American Idol contestant of all time. And anyone who knows me knows that I really, truly mean it. So thanks a lot, Elliot. I really, truly appreciate you. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your computer, your laptop, your iPad, your Android, whatever device it is that you're using. doesn't even matter. Within just minutes of being released, that's always the benefit of being a subscriber. You'll get the show before anyone else does. I usually have a new episode every Tuesday and Friday. Also, don't forget to rate and review. I say it every week. It only takes a minute to do that. And it really helps me continue to grow this podcast tremendously. Uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much everywhere that podcasts are found. You can also subscribe to our new YouTube channel. Just go on YouTube, type in More Podcast, hit that subscribe button and click that little bell next to it. So that you'll get notifications. I got highlight clips from current and past episodes on there. I'm sure I'll have a couple of clips from this Elliot Yamin interview that'll be up there soon. I also have original audio content going up there almost daily now. And last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at tweets Thanks again for listening. You guys are a bomb. You guys are a bomb, man. I'll be back with a new episode on Friday. I'm sure I'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.
0: Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance
2: fees and flexible online access to your money.